raising up the voices of a crazy group of people and giving them way more power than they deserve. Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. In this episode, we'll be talking about public shaming and whether social media is representative of a real-life mindset. And we'll wrap up our week in geek with what we've been watching, reading, and playing. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game on Girl. We often discuss sexism and bigotry from several different media sources, conventions, television shows, movies, but the social media outlets are the newest animal to the jungle, the most mysterious, and the one we understand the least. We do know people can be very outspoken through social media and appear to have more freedom, leisure, and gumption to do so. We saw this again this past weekend when the first Indian American woman was crowned Miss America. The social media show of bigotry towards a quote-unquote non-American winning the title was the news. Yeah, Regina, you sent me two articles addressing the issue of social media comments as news and as a means for fighting bigotry. They sort of represented a point-counterpoint on the subject. Yeah, they were very much in dialogue with each other. I actually watched them talking to each other on Twitter as well. Uh, which I thought was really great because I love when people are, you know, take different stances and are able to constructively discuss it. So the first yeah, article, exactly. yeah, constructively, right? Yes. <laughs> Let's use that as a buzzword through this episode. <laughs> so the first article was from the Penny Arcade Report by Ben Kuchera, and it was titled Miss America, Bigot Shaming, and the Media's Vile Attraction to the Worst in America. And the second article was from Think Progress by Alyssa Rosenberg, and it was titled The Racist Reaction to the New Miss America and How to Make Public Shaming More Effective. Yeah, just to sum up just a little bit, because we're going to pull out some main points we want to discuss, but Kuchera's main reaction is to journalistic responsibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said, shaming racist by name on social media has become big business, Mm -hmm. uh, pointing right to the pocketbook. And that public shaming is raising up the voices of a crazy group of people and escalates the sense of distrust, hatred, and fear. Rosenberg counters Kuchera's saying by saying the public needs these comments in the forefront because, quote, bigotry plays a real role in shaping policy and culture elsewhere in the country. She also argues what people feel comfortable saying in public is an interesting test of what our society is willing to tolerate. So I'm going to start off, first off, I mean, there's so much that we can talk about. No doubt. But as far as the point-counterpoint for public shaming, that's one of the things they address. Um, Where do you fall on that? Well, I think both articles have really interesting points to them, and I, and I like them in concert with each other. I I think they both had holes independently, <laughs> so when we put them both together, I think they cover a good you know uh, cornucopia of perspectives on it. But in particular, I really like Kuchera's idea of acknowledging the language, but not necessarily the speaker. Yeah. Because I think what ends up happening and what he was talking about in that journalistic responsibility that you mentioned, you know, people start spamming these accounts with, you know, their own ideologies. Right. 
supportive or, you know, anti their points of view either way and start publicly shaming these people for this and, you know, call them out on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And that doesn't get anywhere. You know, that doesn't change anybody's mind. That only, you know, inflames them more or causes them to, you know, dig more entrenched into their ideology. And that's not really what we should be trying to do. So is there a positive to public shaming? I don't know. I, I, ha I haven't I haven't seen any yet. I would like to see the idea of that that Kuchera shares of let's take this and 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 make it about the language about the language that people use because as I say repeatedly on the show words are powerful things and make it about the language as a, as opposed to make it about the person because personal attacks are never going to get anywhere never going to make people understand or look at topics differently. No, and the the, um, the public shaming ends up being a a one on one thing. Mm -hmm. It is one person passing judgment on the words of another person. Exactly. And to me, it's the exact same thing in reverse. Based on the information given in front of you, you are making a moral judgment about the other person. Mm -hmm. And then deciding that they are guilty and wrong and then passing sentence. Right. And I don't think anybody has that role and, and the idea that I, I just don't know a situation at all where shame is effective as shame is, is detrimental when you use it on children. It's not a positive way. Now, to... I know I was just thinking about it. Like when you're training a dog, yes. you know, and you use shame as a, as a methodology to, tra to train your dog, that doesn't work. It's not no. effective. I mean, you know, try to shame no. a cat, right? I mean, that's never going to happen, but you know, that basic idea of making somebody feel bad or trying to make them feel ashamed. Yeah, it, well, it can, if, you're, if you're lucky, it might work. But the thing about it is you're either going to get someone to do something out of uh, low self-esteem that's against their, their values or you're going to get someone to, to behave even worse. Right. Um, because the, it's such a negative feeling, they're going to have an emotional reaction to it. I just always feel like there's a better way to do it if you can re create a positive reaction. Besides the fact that I think a one-on-one -on -one encounter with a person over Twitter is it is ridiculous anyway. It's hard enough in uh, a partnership, in a relationship, a long-term relationship where you actually physically see a person day in and day out right. to work out differences and communicate and say, you know, you hurt my feelings, you shouldn't have said this, and, and to do an interaction. But to, <laughs> to think that that is somehow going to be effective online by somebody you don't even know. Mm -hmm. I mean, the person, let's, I mean, if the person who, whoever wrote the tweet, uh, even if it wasn't about the Miss America pageant this weekend, if I just said something in general, I uh, don't believe in Obama. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could get attacked for that. Right. But, and I could get shamed for that, but that then the other person is passing judgment and I could say, well, you know, I, I really didn't mean it to sound like that. What I meant to do was, was blah, you know, start a good discussion, but has the shame gone too far now where nobody's actually listening to my interpretation? Well, that's exactly, yeah, go ahead. Let's you see what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, I totally see what you're saying. And I totally okay. agree because I, I think that in, in the times in my life where I've been ashamed of my own actions or I've been embarrassed by what I've done, it's not because somebody made me feel that way. Exactly. It's because that came from my own internal compass that was saying, you're pointing in the yep. wrong direction. 
And that's where the best growth comes from personally. Oh, personal growth. yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the way you, I'm so big on everybody finding their own path mm-hmm. and their own journey. And if you give them enough room to discover the person that they are, despite whatever cultural background they came from, um, I, th- I think they'll blossom. Exactly. You know? But it's, it's, a, it's the same kind of um, proselytizing, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to run around and tell people how wrong they are. Right. Because, it, it, you know, nobody wants to hear that. And as soon as somebody yeah. hears you say what you think is wrong, any dialogue becomes completely one sided. Yes. Because that person is going to ignore you. <laughs> yeah. And one person, one sided dialogues don't don't do you any any good. Like you said, the the idea of personal growth that comes from that. You yeah. Know. And th- that's the reason why that uh, Rosenberg's statement as she closed out her article, it just it, it, it just kind of sent chills up my spine because it it sounded just a little creepy. She says, shame's a powerful tool. If it's used in a targeted and effective way, we shouldn't abandon it, but instead get more intelligent and less self-gratifying about how we use it. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, I just don't think that's possible. I don't think shame's a good, a good tool, which we just... Yeah, well, I, I don't even know how, how, how are we going to come? How are we going to come to this? Like, like, how do we get to the point where we use if we were to use public shaming in this way? How do you get to that step? How do you make that step from going, you know, from 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 shaming somebody or or shaming somebody's ideas or concepts or whatever they're talking about to having them understand without that brick wall immediately going up that says, I'm not listening to you because you think I'm dumb or you disagree with my point right. of view. And I don't well, I don't know how to do that. that. It's kind of a mob mentality too. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> well, I it mean, was a mob mentality. All the negative comments that were being said was a mob mentality oh, too. Yeah. You know, and that's the problem is is what happens when you have two mobs together? Right. You get you get a war and you get a bunch of hurt people, you know, and you don't have anything productive come out of that. Well, I, I think that besides that, the I think Kachera makes a really really great point when he calls the media out. Yes, I agree. Um, because they're the one they're the ones that are standing in the back going lynch him, lynch him, lynch him, mm-hmm. and getting the crowd riled up. Right. I mean, I just don't. Which leads leads into the the next subject, which. Um, Karen Rosenberg disagreed on as far as the social media is a representation of the way that we are thinking in America. Mm-hmm. And Kuchera argues against this, but Rosenberg seems to think this is important information. Right. So is does the American mindset finally have a voice through social media, or is this not the way to, to look at the way people are really thinking through tweets? I, I don't think Twitter is representative at all. <laughs> No, no, I, you know, I look at, I look at Twitter and I look at, um, you can look at the statistics. I mean, I remember somebody posted a while, a while back. I don't, I don't remember who it was or where it was. This is the other problem with social media. I can never keep track of who shared what where. Oh, no. I have no idea where I, where I get things from, where I see things anymore. It just, you know, I don't. I don't hear any of that. Um, I um, I and, and it was a map of the United States, and it showed the regions of the country that were like it was colored, and it showed where Twitter was the most used, where there were the most Twitter accounts. Uh-huh. 
and the whole central part of the country was missing. I mean, you know, the mid the Midwest and um, you know the central the central country was just for the U.S. was just blank. There was you know little pockets here and there in some cities, but like o- almost entirely null and void of Twitter activity or Twitter accounts. You know, the Eastern Seaboard, the Western Seaboard, you know, bright lights everywhere. You know, tons of tw- tons of users in those places. So as much as I know the people in those regions of the country, including myself in this and you. <laughs> One, to think that we are the center of the country, I mean, you know, respectively on either side of the coast, Um, there are lots of other people (laughs) who are not on Twitter and who are not, you know, technologically savvy and who aren't even like social media savvy. I mean, I know more people than I care to admit that do not use Twitter or Facebook at all, like who want nothing to do with those platforms. So, you know, can we look at them as representative of the entire country? I don't think so. No. Now, that, that's where that there was one paragraph in, in Rosenberg's article, and, and they bo- both were actually, they were really good articles. And they, they are, yeah. To me, a very, um, even though I disagree completely, almost completely, not completely, but almost completely with Rosenberg on everything, she had a really well thought out article and a very balanced, level-headed discussion and addressed um, points in Kuchera's article, and I thought that was, oh, it was great. Mm-hmm. But again, I felt like she was making some stretches and actually in, including too too much information to actually make her point. The the thing that that bugged me the most is is when arguing about hey these tweets are important and we need to listen to them because the fact is large numbers of people are thinking this way and I'm like what. Mm-hmm. Large numbers of, of who? Large numbers of Americans? Large numbers of uh, Twitterers? I, I ha- where did, where could you possibly quantify mm-hmm. what that large there are numbers large are? Enough numbers that this is a issue. Right. I, I mean, I I tend to think that it's in the minority, but I don't even have anything to back that up completely. Right. Except for the statistics that you saw, that the majority of Americans are not even on Twitter. Right. Right. And then. The, the thing that bugged me was that she extrapolated that um, not only are there a large number of people's people um, who feel free to say these things out loud, but they feel encouraged to say these things out loud because other people will get to hear them, and that these might lead to hate crimes. And I'm like, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, there's a little logical fallacy going on in there in terms of the slippery slope. Yeah, if she just slowed down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No reason that she had to go that far. Yeah. Um, there is definitely a problem with the language being. Oh, uh, there's definitely and yeah. and and the and the ideology and the mindset and you know saying well you know I I don't know in the article I think it was Rosenberg's article she shared that um that picture of the the blonde was she Miss Kansas I don't know yes do you I know the one I'm... yes yes yeah I think she was Miss Kansas and she had been in the army. And uh, she had tattoo. And I remember seeing her picture as being notable that she was one of the first Miss America contestants who had been um, tattooed, which I thought was interesting in and of itself. But then it became this like meme where everybody's like, oh, well, she should really be Miss America, you know, because, you know, she's blonde haired, blue eyed. And it's like, um, let's uh, step back from here <laughs> and see what you're really saying. Uh, I know it just it was the most ridiculous. I didn't even read very many of them. That was the most ridiculous thing. But I just I remember. I remember as a kid, I watched the Miss America, Miss USA, Miss University pageant all the time because I thought that was just the height of 
awesome. And it always bugged me that a blonde always won. <laughs> because I'm a redhead. I was like, you know, what 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 does that mean? And right. I don't uh, I just think they're just silliest some of the silliest things that are said. But yeah. then if we move on, um, if we go back, okay, so we're talking that, that public shaming is not effective and that possibly through social media, we cannot solve this problem, although the problem is found its way into social media. That's not shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is it that we have won battles in the past with bigotry, uh, with um, abolishing slavery, with getting women uh, to, able to vote and getting equality in the country? How were those things done in, in the past? And can, can we revisit those methods or is it at all even possible to use social media to, to, to accomplish those kinds of monumental tasks? Well, you know, I, I won't try to say that I'm an expert on on feminist on, on the early feminist movements because more of my study was done in the later movements. But for suffrage and for, you know, uh, to get the vote at the, you know, the beginning in the 1900s when people were uh, picketing and protesting, um, most of that was done in person. <laughs> Yeah. And and through actual protests. You can't really protest on Twitter. I mean, you could try, you can push a social agenda, you can promote ideologies. They can be used, social media can be used to enhance social justice. But I don't think you would be successful in completely trying to change something using just social media. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think it would. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're basically preaching to the choir. In oh, social media. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, only my followers really are going to see my tweets. Right. And if people who don't care about what I have to say either don't follow me or delete me later anyway. Right. Or so, or see your avatar and just skip over what you've you've tweeted if they do follow you or or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think ha- had the women, the suffragettes, had social media, had they had Twitter, I think they would have been able to maybe rally more women together and reach more people. Because I think that's the best way that you can use social media is to reach more people and to get out of you know your immediate sphere. Which is another thing that they comment on actually, is that these um, these platforms aren't just for your immediate family unless you are a person who's absolutely controlling what they post and who sees what you post it's not insular it's yeah. it's public and and if you do have a public twitter account and you do have it open so that people can see it and one person picks up and that's where the the sort of snowball of the shaming goes because one person picks up and says oh well this person is doing this and then all of a sudden you know x number of people jump on the bandwagon and start saying who are you and who do you think you are doing this and what do you think you're doing this for blah 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 yeah, there's a that mistakes still can be made, but there's a limited number of mistakes that that you can make. If I'm standing in a room with you and I overhear you saying, "Well, we'd have been better off if women hadn't gotten the vote to begin with," mm-hmm. can walk over there and say, "Excuse me, did you mind explaining to me what you just said?" But if tweeted and you actually happen to be a 12-year-old boy who's doing psychology research for a class, then you don't know who you're talking to. There are so many levels of anonymity and motive and location and perspective. I mean, you just, you just don't know what the heck is going on with someone who tweets like that. It's not a 
situation anyway. It's a state. Right. And and I just I just have to agree with that. You know, this is not going to be a very good show because we're just we're not fighting each other too, too much. <laughs> I'm find something. Um, football. No. Dallas. <laughs> OK, so they do go on. Kachera goes on to talk about a little bit more. Um, Rosenberg points out a couple of things that she disagrees with what Kuchera said. He believes that the danger in the racism and sexism and the homophobia is something that leads to real-life policy shaping and uh, because it's based on cultures. Mm-hmm. The remote's not the right word, but cultures where bigotry is hoarded or may be more popular, that it's impossible for us to have an effect on that culture if we allow this language to go on. Which right. Well, I, have a pro- I have a problem with that simply because, it, again, it's the we're repeating ourselves it's the one-on-one thing and also the fact that we've got a country that has free speech right well i i think i i think that that's where this comes back to that idea of not not publicly shaming in terms of responding to the individual who said whatever it was that was said, but that idea of taking their language and using their language as a means yeah. of starting discussion. Because that could be one way you could be very effective in potentially showing someone or demonstrating with language the problem with with the language or even with the ideology. But, but you have to take the step back from it. And, and so if public shaming, I think, is going to be effective, it can't be, it can't be forced at an individual. Does that make it sense? Can't what? It can't be what? Forced? If you're trying to force the, if oh. you want to force somebody to feel ashamed of something that yes. they did, yes. you can't do that on, on, you know, to an individual. What you have to do is you have to take that step back and make it about the broader issues, about language, about power, about race, about whatever it is that the topic right. is that's needing to be discussed. But it can't be, uh, you're a racist. It has to be this language is racist. Right, right. Right? So, and that's where, that's where it needs to change. And that is the way that if we do want to affect policy and changes and all that kind of stuff, that's the way that happens, not by going after how individuals think or, or going after one person specifically for something that they said. Yeah. And again, the pause, most people do not put the way that they should in the words that they use. Oh, they do not. I know because I teach composition. (laughs) Just as likely that the number of people that are on Twitter or the people that say negative things, let me put this, the people who say negative things on Twitter, several things of them are saying it because they want to get retweeted or posted Right. And people are using it to be sensational, to have a sensational reaction, to get a sensational reaction, to get on BuzzFeed. I mean, you know, that's where this all started was BuzzFeed collected the racist tweets and and categorized, collected and categorized the types of racist tweets tweets there were, treats. Hello. Apparently I'm stuck in Halloween. Um, yeah, the racist tweets, they, they categorize, they found different categories of, okay, we had this kind and this kind and this kind. And so, yeah, well, I mean, Rosenberg, I mean, one thing she said is that, um, with, with 
these people are speaking out and they know that their their words are intended to be broadcasted and they they have found a forum to do that. Right. They're capitalizing right. on that. They're capitalizing yeah. on the idea that, you know, this is going to be seen. And if this is seen by this person, maybe it'll get picked up and tweeted to, you know, 100,000 or 100 million people because, you know, some people on Twitter have the power to do that. One tweet coming from a certain person that has enough of a following will get, you know, that kind of broadcast. Um, I think about the only thing that that I would benefit from with seeing the tweets, and because we've talked about it on here, and that is raising the awareness that this type of language is being used. Because I remember when we were sitting in the panel at um, Patsy's, and it was a female uh, genre geared panel, and I forget what I forget what we were there talking about. It was that girl gamer, and the the women were basically reading tweets. Doing at that moment about, and I was stunned at the vile and horrible things that were being said, and I just was, I was flabbergasted. Yeah, it and, was um, it was the uh, trolls and white knights panel, and and it was it wasn't they weren't tweets. I mean, there were tweets they were talking about as well, but she was reading the comments on the Twitch TV feed. Oh, okay. That before they had even broadcast. I mean. They hadn't started broadcasting yet. That's so the reason I want to admit it. They didn't even have pictures up or, or have content out about what was going to be talked about. But just the simple fact that that was the, the title of the panel got them going on that immediately. Yeah, I just but it was important for me to hear that. Yeah. Because I tend to, I tend to be pretty naive or at least optimistic, too optimistic about the, the prevalence of that type of attitude. Right. And the fact that it is still that bad. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I mean, th- I think that's important. But as far as pulling those individuals out, I, re- I, I really, I mean, that's about as effective as, you know, hey, let's get married and I'll change you to the way you need to be. Right. I think it's just, it's not, it's not going to work. But having more awareness allows me to be more empathetic. Right, exactly. I'm glad that there's coverage of what happens. I'm glad that there are BuzzFeed-like articles where you get to see what happens and what people are saying. The problem with it, and and it was it was kind of nice because the BuzzFeed, you know, even though they put it in categories, they they didn't make a whole lot of commentary about what was said. So they just you know put the tweets up as as representative. And as I mentioned to you when we were talking before we started the show, that article was all over my Facebook. I can't tell you how many people posted that link and comments about you know how awful it was and how awful Twitter was because of course Twitter is this horrible place where all these things happen. And I'm like. No, this isn't Twitter's fault. <laughs> you can't blame the platform for the speaker. You know, that that's not that's not really the way this goes. It's not an awful thing that, you know, that this happens on Twitter. It's actually kind of good that it does because one of the great things about Twitter is you do have the option to search tweets and to see what comes up. And you can't do that on Facebook necessarily. I mean, you could search for a topic or something like that and it might take you to a page or something along those lines. But it doesn't give you that option just to see what everybody is kind of saying about this unless they put a tag on it or something along those lines. So I think that that's, that's actually good in terms of Twitter as, as a platform because you do get to see more completely what's being said about something. Yeah, well, and it's like, it's like we were saying before, it's a, it's a statement and it is meant to be, I mean, if, if you don't go back and search two and 10 days back or six months back for tweet, I mean, typically they're meant for in the moment. That's right. what they are. 
Right. Instantaneous. Exactly. And there's a certain um, there's a certain, certain amount of noise on Twitter. And if you if you actually know how to use Twitter and you're you know conversing with people on Twitter, then you know you look at somebody's Twitter profile and you're going to see a bunch of responses that aren't necessarily public. I mean, they're public in terms of you go to their profile and look at them, but there have been conversations between one or two, maybe three people, but they're not, you know, they're not unless you, you know, make specific things, unless you do specific things, they're not visible to everybody's followers just on like their time, their timeline or their, their feed of, of Twitter. So, well, are there any points about either of the articles that, um, I didn't hit on. I didn't ask you. Um, I just wanted to say that I, I think the most disturbing part of this whole um, topic, not just the shaming, uh, the, the, not the shaming necessarily, but about the tweets that happened was exactly how comfortable people were using this kind of language in these formats. Like I, I couldn't believe some of the things that were said, and I think that's really bad. And 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 actually, I did have one thing that I wanted to bring up that I wanted to kind of compare this because I don't think the public shaming is necessarily effective. But we keep talking about harassment in game. That's been something that's been a, a theme that we've talked about a lot lately. And we're always telling our listeners and the people that we know who game in like Xbox Live and other you know formats to stand up to the people who are harassing people in game. Now, what's the difference? How, how is it different to do that than it is to publicly shame somebody? So what are we asking that's different? Hopefully we're asking a lot because when I was talking to the, the audience at DragonCon, I'm like, you are the best representative. You are the representative of gaming. You are the representative for horsemanship and gaming. It's like you are intelligent you are a professional you are a, a, a human being with that you know wants everybody to get along so when you call someone out on this don't begin to call them names what you didn't say you know dude that wasn't that, that wasn't very nice right you know we appreciate you know having goes on our team and, and she does a good job so that's Right. And and that's and that's what it comes back to for me in terms of, you know, it's the words you use and it's how you say it. It's how you address it. So you can still address somebody individually and not shame them, but tell them, you know, this is inappropriate behavior. These are inappropriate things to say, as opposed to you're wrong and you're awful and you're a horrible person. So we need to kind of keep those mindset in, you know, to the forefront of our thinking and of our talking and of how we treat these situations, because it's really important that we sort of differentiate between those two things. Yeah, I, I, I think um, our article put it really well. It's like, you know, if you're fighting fire with fire, but when you're actually doing it, just throwing in gasoline and start attacking the other person with the same kind of awful Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate everyone listening to us today and the, uh, the current topic of the Miss America, the first uh, Indian American of Miss America. And, Gorgeous woman, by the way. I always love pageants. We ought to talk about pageants. <laughs> yeah, we might have to do that because uh, <laughs> I don't know if I have the same feelings about pageants that you have, Rhonda. <laughs> oh, come on, Miss Congeniality. <laughs> Sandra Bullock didn't win you over. You're lost. <laughs> well, we'd love to hear what our listeners have to say, and you can find all our social media connections on our website, gameongirl.com. You can leave your comments in the comments in the, on the post, on the blog, or, of course, we're on Facebook and on Twitter. This 
This is our wrap segment where we talk about what we've been geeking out on in the areas of video, literature, and gaming. Regina, what have you been watching this week? I've been watching Fringe, which I think I mentioned starting a few weeks ago. Um, Excellent. Yeah, and I haven't I haven't ever watched it before. And another season is available now on, on Netflix. So I think there's all there's five seasons available right now. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, I'm really enjoying it. I really love the um, the building of the conspiracy story, mm-hmm. the conspiracy line. I'm having a little issue, though, <laughs> Uh-oh. because I tend to watch it over dinner and it's not a great show for that. No, it's a little like Bones in terms of the um, the opening scenes with the blood and the gore and the disgusting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's not so great. No, if it's of course, I mean, for me, I can I can pretty much watch anything for some reason. While I'm eating, but um, but uh, John usually can't. So, but the the great thing about Fringe is it they have great characters. They, they do have, have great characters. Wonderful cast, and you just you just want to you want to see all of them. You want to know all about all of them, and it's just is really awesome. Yeah, I, that's one of the things that's that kept me in it. Um, I, my other theory about TV shows is that. Um, the first season is often really rough. And sometimes if you can hang with a show through the first season and it picks up at the very end, which is what I feel like happened with Fringe. Um, it was kind of slow moving. It was kind of like having like, okay, let's see what goes with this and what happens with it. And then all of a sudden it hit the end of season one and I'm like, oh my God, I can't stop watching this show. So, yeah, you know, it, it gives you that, but it, it does have the characters and the build of the characters and the actors. And um, I love John Noble. I, I love his character. This yeah. crazy mad scientist character. And I'm sure there's plenty of mad scientists out there who hate the depiction. <laughs> yeah, he really gets um, some wonderful dimensions, though. They just, um, I think the audience uh, attached to that character very quickly, mm-hmm. the same way the reaction you got. And luckily, the, the writers caught on with that. Yeah, because I, I love his little whimsical, like, oh, there were two things I was thinking of. And he's like, coffee cake. How do you feel about coffee cake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he's, there was an episode I just watched and, and, you know, and I do, I don't have a, I don't have a high gross factor. I get grossed out pretty easy. And he's like dissecting a body and he's got like rubber gloves on that are blood covered and he's eating a, yeah. a, a red vine. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's interesting he is yes he he definitely has some uh some interesting sort of characteristics going on there but but i enjoy it and i'm i'm also watching um i've been re-watching eureka which i think i talked about last week and i'm finally in the new episodes in um season five and the final season of the show and um i'm really glad because a lot of times when characters that have been building up sexual tension I'm often disappointed when they get together like I remember it almost like tearing me apart when Mulder and Scully finally got together and I was like this isn't working which I think was partially because they took too long for it to happen yeah but um I'm the storyline for Eureka when Allison and Carter finally get together, I, I've rarely found a love story more satisfying. And I don't know how oh. it ends yet, but but just finally seeing the two of them together, I'm like, oh, this is good. Okay, good. Thank you. Excellent. They did a good job then. <laughs> yeah, they did. I love the writing of Eureka is really... Amy Berg is uh, uh, one of the main writers for them, and she she does a really great job. So, so what have you been up to? What have you been watching? Well, of course, I'm very excited that... TV season is finally kicking off. Mm-hmm. 
And um, for the most part, the only new show that was on my list, I posted a list on the blog, was Dad. Mm -hmm. And it was on last night for me. And I watched it today. But I also went up there and uh, because I'm so, you know, anxious and TV starved, uh, watched a few other shows that were not on my list simply because there were some out there that were new. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad's has got uh, Seth Green and um, I can't believe his name just left my head. because He's a great actor. Giovanni Ribisi, uh, right? Who is it? Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, okay. Um, of course, Seth Green is is just a wonderful actor, wonderful comedic timing. Mm-hmm. And I've had great hopes for Ribisi ever since he appeared on Friends. Mm-hmm. And I really thought he was going to have a good film career, but um, just, I just don't think that the parts were out there for him. But um, the show Dads is written by a couple of writers from Family Guy, and th- they also wrote Ted. Mm. Now, it's odd because, strangely enough, I like the movie Ted, mm-hmm. and I really do not like Family Guy. Yeah, I really don't like Family Guy either. No, um, but I've only and, watched snippets of it. You're braver than I am because I know you said last week that you were watching it just for research purposes. And I, yeah, I've watched a dozen or so episodes, and I just I figure I've I've given it a really good shot. Um, they've got a couple of outstanding characters and Stewie and Brian, which I mm-hmm. think are brilliant. But the rest of it, especially the female characters, just really irritating. Yeah. Um, so I was not thrilled with that and it really disappointed me because I, I just I want to fall in love with that show and hang on to it right and, but I will give it two or three chances the thing that kind of bugs me and I think they're building on this is they kept um, making fun of um, one or two one of the dads for his um, bigoted comment mm-hmm. but at the same time the son kept making bigoted comments Mm. But it was in such a way that you kept waiting for the punchline, right? And it didn't come, and it never came. Mm. So I, I want to give them time to develop that over the next episodes. If that's something that they're actually going to evolve in his character, that's great, right? Um, because I think they're they're planning it really well. Um, but right now, it feels like the pacing and the timing of Family Guy, and it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, um, that's too bad. Yeah. Um, I also um, watched We Are Men, which is another one I was excited about because of Tony Shalhoub. Um, I think he's just a brilliant character actor. And it, it's okay. You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll give it a couple episodes. Uh, and a couple that I was not expecting to watch, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I'm sorry I can't tell you who's in that. But it's a cop uh, dramedy. And Sleepy Hollow. Now, Sleepy Hollow was the surprise. Yeah, I, I'm actually curious about watching that. I, I haven't I haven't seen it, but I was talking to Mark about it, and I'm very curious about it now. Very, I, it just very much surprised me. I mm. didn't care for the trailers. I was like, oh, please, not again. <laughs> and this I story watching, again. <laughs> yeah, and well, it, and it is prejudice because I don't like the Sleepy Hollow story. Oh, well, that would do like, it. What the heck are you going to do? With a series, renewing, I mean, you know, if you have any hope of doing two, three, five seasons with a Sleepy Hollow story, I mean, come on, you've got to be kidding me. Right, yeah, how are you going to carry this through, sure. Right, but the um, the characters they've introduced are very compelling. I like them a lot. They they gel together really well. 
house. So that was another thing about dad. They all seemed uncomfortable with each other. Yeah, see, that's that's like the 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 kiss of death for a sitcom. If if yeah. a sitcom in particular, because it's so short and you're generally doing comedy, and you know to do comedy, and you have to have that rapport, and you have to have it from the get go. Yeah, it just seems uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, that's but too Sleepy bad. Sleepy Hollow was a surprise. Mm-hmm. And I haven't written, I haven't definitely haven't written any of these off because I never write anything off after the first episode. No, I always, I always give, I always give a handful of episodes for the, especially for a fledgling show, first season, just getting off its feet. I always give it a few yeah. episodes. Uh, yeah, have you watched can. New Girl? Have you watched New Girl at oh, all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's back to. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I don't know, was it you that I talked to about New Girl and that just was not happy with the, the, the adults acting like whiny children all the yes, time. Okay, yes. Okay. Was- I, I get I get easily fed up with that show. And what's funny is I I saw that it was in my my Hulu queue. It, it popped up and it's like, oh, you have a new episode of New Girl. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna let like three of those build up because I like watch them like in a in a bunch so I can get like all the whiny out of the way just to yeah. see where the story's going. So. It's like it's got enough compelling storytelling for I want to see what's going to happen with the characters. But like I get so irritated. The only thing the one thing I love about that show is when they had the um, the douchebag jar for. Um, oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. In, in the jar. In the jar. <laughs> you know? love that yeah I think it was after you made that comment that I was I was watching the episodes I was I was pretty pretty committed to it and I was just sitting there going well, they're not going they're just they're not doing anything they're no yeah, they just complain. It's a little Seinfeld-like. Yes, it it's, is. It's, it's like a little a modern Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a show about nothing. Like nothing really yes. happens. They don't really have anything. They don't actually have a gimmick, and they're not really. I mean, you know, other than the characters' romantic lives, there's nothing, you know, driving the stories at all. So, exactly. so we'll, well see. What are you reading then? I'm reading uh, the fourth. I could talk about TV all day. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now that we're back in new stuff going out. Um, I'm reading the fourth book in the House of Night series called Tempted. And I'm almost finished. I will probably finish it tonight, actually. And um, I might even be through book five by the time we record next week. Oh, wow. Because yeah. <laughs> I just get so hooked into this story. And it's a really easy and a really fun read. Um, I spend a good, you know, hour, hour and a half reading it a night these days. So um, it's a fun, it's a I don't want to keep saying fun. One of the things I love about it, and I was thinking about this as I was reading last night, I love well-rounded female characters. And there are a lot of really, really deep, really well-rounded female characters. And for young adult literature, although my preferences tend to fall into series that do have great female characters, it is really nice when you see them kind of growing and developing and becoming, you know, really sort of powerful and um, and that's that's one of the compelling draws to it for me. One of the other things is that it's um it's a it's a completely different approach to vampire stories in general, where it's not you get bitten and turned into a vampire, but you're chosen instead. So that makes for a different dynamic, I think, in the storytelling. Yeah, that's the reason why I liked um, the enemy. Mm. Um, I can't remember. I'm sorry, I can't remember. Uh, that's a young adult's book, and it's it was a twist on the zombie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like when that happens. I like um, the the idea of taking a known like bad guy and changing up the way it sort of works. So um, so that's one of the reasons why I find this series, I think, to be so compelling. 
Um, so, uh, what and what are you reading? Um, I'm still reading uh, Stormfront mm-hmm. by Jam but- uh, butcher and it's the book one of the Dresden Files and I'm a little I'm a farther into it obviously you would hope um, but it, I was really I was really enjoying it at the beginning but it, it, it it's got a lot of cliche in it mm. and at the same time it's got a lot of really bright moments in it so I'm actually I'm gonna I want to try to stay committed to it and and go to book two and three and follow the series on because I have a, a distinct feeling that Butcher really matures mm-hmm. this character in his writing, um, considering this is book one. Because he had a he had a scene where he he captures a fairy, I just thought was just brilliant. Um, he's got a scene where he's he's debating with a uh, eternal spirit that's living in a skull, and I thought that was it was a very compelling and interesting. But then you know he'll turn around and do these. Uh, typical cliche things in the plot that just kind of you're also like oh mm. but it, it's obvious he has got some ideas and uh, I, I think that there's a reason why he's he's the series is popular so I'm I'm sticking sticking with it. Cool. And are you playing anything new? Um, I am continuing to play Forced uh, from Beta Dwarf Studio, which is one of the um, games I picked up at uh, PAX. Um, and it's an indie, it's an indie studio and it's now on steam. It's actually now available on steam. So if you're interested, um, it is a fighter and a puzzle game all in one. And so we actually had four people playing it last night. I did a little bit of recording. Um, so now I have to learn how to edit, which is going to be a whole nother thing. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, I did some recording of some of the trials uh, at the beginning of the game last night. And, um, I'm really enjoying you, you have to work together to get to, their timed trials. So you, the, one of the achievements you get is to finish in a certain amount of time. And to do that, you really have to have everybody kind of on task and working together. So um, okay. it's really, but it's really fun. And, and that adds a level of challenge to like a fighter game that, that I've never really seen before. I've never seen that combination of puzzles and fighting and collaboration come together quite so well. Some of the, the, um, the mechanics and the driving of the game is a little awkward and some of the UI might need a little tweaking, but they're not, they're not huge problems in terms of inter, you know, being problematic for gameplay. You just have to pay more attention <laughs> yeah, yeah. to what you're doing. And for board games, I picked up one of the uh, most recent um, episode of tabletop was on Lords of Waterdeep. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. And um, it is, it's actually, it's a resource building game, essentially, based on uh, Dungeons and Dragons lore. Oh, wow. So it's a Dungeons and Dragons game, but it's not, it's not a role-playing game. Right. It's a, it's, and it is, it's very addictive and it's, it's high strategy. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot, I mean, you play, they have intrigue cards. That's part of the game or like, you know, causing intrigue to happen in the game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and so just that mechanic alone and some of the other things that you do in the game make it really, really, We I played it within the first 24 hours I had it, played it four times. <laughs> That's a good sign. That gives you a good idea of <laughs> how compelling it is. So, and it's for two to, I think it's either five or six players. It might be five. And I think there's an expansion that brings it to six. But um, I'm looking forward to taking it to my um, my tabletop group eventually, and uh, and seeing how everybody does with it because I think people are going to really like it. So, cool. 
Yeah, what have you been playing? Uh, just Plants vs. Zombies 2. Oh, well, that's worth your time. How and far? I'm still, I'm still in Egypt. You're still in Egypt? Yes, because I gotta, I gotta get all the stars. I, I, I am, admire you. And Ryan did that. Ryan, the editor of our podcast, he, he hung through and got all the stars before he moved on to the pirates. But my mastery didn't go that far. <laughs> but this is exactly where, where my mastery just is OCD to the max. And I'm just, there's actually, there's one level where I just, I don't, I'm not sure it's even possible when at this point to mm-hmm. get those stars because of the um, the challenge. It just it just seems impossible without certain plants. Yeah, well, and that so, that was my thinking was I'm going to go to the next you know the next zone because I know I can get more plants and then I can come back in and finish the harder yeah. levels of uh, of Egypt because I just got to the point where I had played the same level like three times and I'm like screw yeah. it. <laughs> I'm done. I'm moving on. I've got to try something new. And there's some really fun stuff that you can do in Pirates. So I may, I may go ahead and, and move on because, I mean, that's the way the Lego games were. Mm. Um, we get spent, all the little, uh, 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 I don't remember what they were called. I don't know. We, we spent ages trying to accomplish some task that was obviously there, and we had no ability to do it. Right, because you have to play through it and go back because you get yeah. different characters that are the only characters that are going to be able to open certain doors and get you in certain things, but you have to go through and go back in order to be able to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of took that lesson from this, too. Like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be so anxious to try to get every one of these. Maybe I can come back and do this later. So. Well. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll find out next week if my OCD lets go and I'm able to play Pirates. <laughs> well, we'd love to hear how you've been geeking out this week. Just contact us on any of our social media sites. You can find those on GameOnGirl.com. You've been listening to Game On Girl. We are on Twitter and Facebook and GameOnGirl.com. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at RoRoom. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. Or email Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter and on Steam. And thanks to Rhonda for putting together the script today uh, and taking the time to sort of pick apart the articles that we talked about. We'll have links to both Ben Kuchera's article from the Penny Arcade Report and Alyssa Rosenberg's uh, article from Think Progress. So we'll have links to those. And don't forget, you know what I just remembered is Extra Life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have, uh, we're going to be doing some Extra Life activities here in the next uh, couple months. So, yeah, we've got links up on the um, website. You could go out and either join our group. Uh, Regina has uh, Extra Life Game on Girl West Coast. I have Game on Girl East. And you can either join our groups or you can contribute to our groups. And we've each got a goal that we're hoping to raise for Extra Life. You can check out more information about uh, the program. But all the money goes to uh, local children's hospitals. Yeah, and since we are we are bi-coastal, we are representing both the East and the West Coast. And so we'll have hospitals for both West Coast and East Coast folks. And if you'd like to participate on our teams, we'd love to have you join us. It would be fantastic because more fundraising we can do for Extra Life, the better. So, And we'll have more details about um, when our events are going to be as well coming up in the next couple weeks. So make sure to check that out on GameOnGirl.com. We're available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with the references made in the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening, and until next time, game on!